welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their awesome hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams, to listen to episode 126. Well, it's been a few uh, weeks since our last episode. I want to apologize. I didn't mean for it to go that long, but I went on vacation last week and uh, wasn't able to get a guest lined up for that. But I tell you what, uh, if you've missed an episode, it gives you an opportunity to go back and listen. And I uh, know some of you have listened to all of them, and I'm just blown away by that. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for the reviews, and uh, just thanks for supporting the show. I'm always looking for guests. That's always the tricky part, especially this time of year. Everybody's doing summer stuff just like me. Um, so if you have a story, I would love to have you on. I do have some um, uh, guests that I've reached out to, so we do have a few lined up here for the next couple weeks, I believe, so looking forward to that. A uh, little update, vacation was awesome, went to the Smoky Mountains, uh, had a couple run-in with some bears right next to our cabin, gave uh, trout fishing a try, caught one rainbow trout, which I was just stoked that I was able to even do that since I know nothing about it, um, was texting my buddies that, that know a little bit, and uh, it was it was not a great time of year to be where I was, and it was kind of challenging, but it was a lot of fun. A lot of good stuff with uh, family and just uh, relaxing. So um, if you have uh, any trips planned to the Smoky Mountains and you want some tips on where to go, I'd be more than happy to tell you where I went fishing, uh, tell you some of the fun stuff that we did to kind of get away from Pigeon Fords, Gatlinburg, and that madhouse of people. Um, <laughs> that's That was not our scene this time, and I enjoyed the trip a lot more uh, than the last time I went. So, uh, good stuff there. And then I got to tell you, last night was fantastic. I um, got the green light from my wife to take my kayak out for the very first time. Uh, if you missed the last episode, my neighbor gave me a free fishing kayak. 10 footer, nothing special. Been sitting for like six years. But I added kind of the essentials that I needed onto it ways to haul my gear and stuff like that. I kind of pared down my tackle box just to like one little. Um, Plano compartment type thing and uh, got it registered and took it to a local lake and first off it floated and I didn't get very wet it's a sit on top kayak and um, I was able to row pretty good without getting like super wet I felt like it steered pretty good and uh, got out there and did some fishing now my pole is definitely too long I need a smaller pole Um, I think my pole is like maybe like a seven or eight foot. I'm not sure. I need like a little bit smaller of a pole for casting. I I got hung up quite a bit in leaves and trees and wasn't able to be precise with my casting, but I did hook a big fish. Um, Don't know exactly what he was because he got off my line. I I threw it out there. I was trying all kinds of baits and things and ended up going with a bobber and a worm and something hit that thing hard. And it took the bobber all the way under and started pulling me. And I think in that moment, I, I just didn't like think to really yank and make sure the hook was set. I assumed because this thing was pulling me that it was already set, kind of me being a rookie. And so I started reeling, and the drag was a little loose, so I tightened up the drag, started reeling some more. I was about five feet away from whatever this thing was under the water, and all of a sudden, it flipped the bait. Like, it bobber came back up, nothing on. I never laid eyes on it. So maybe a bass, maybe a catfish. Um, but either way, it makes me definitely want to get back out there and try it again. Other than that, not a whole lot going on. Plan to deploy a couple cellular trail cameras here before too long and uh, put them on some spots where I uh, got new, some new properties and can be kind of non-invasive with them, kind of keep them on the edge, hang them up high so uh, the deer don't look directly into them. And um, you know, I, I have no grand illusion that a picture of a big buck right now between now and August means that it's a big buck down. It just means that there's a big buck 
potentially in the area, or maybe not, because sometimes they shift their home range. So, um, you know, we talk a little bit about that. We talk about fishing. We talk a lot today uh, with our guest, Steve Phillips. Steve's been on the show before, and he is a great guest with a lot of great experiences and stories from Texas. Uh, He hunts and fishes and does just about everything. And in this episode, we get into uh, hanging deer, which we've never talked about before, how you hang your deer. Um, he talks about uh, his guide business uh, that he's been doing with fishing and deer. We talk trail cams. And then a little bit later on, we get into a really cool story about a fishing tournament that he and his daughter go on. And it's really special the way things play out and kind of neat. And then we wrap up even with a bonus episode, a bonus uh, story at the end of a hog hunt with a friend who was legally deaf. So a lot in this episode, very packed full. I think that you're going to enjoy this. So we're just going to jump right in. Here is Steve Phillips. Well, joining me from Texas, he's been on the show before, Steve Phillips. How you doing, Steve? Doing well. How are you, sir? Oh, wonderful. It's, uh, I tell you, the first day back in the office after you've been on vacation for a week is, is kind of brutal, but you know, you, you, you throw in a podcast in the middle of it and talk about hunting and fishing and it makes it all right. That's right. We call that trashing off a little bit in Texas. <laughs> what are you into today, man? Oh, I had I fished a little bit of the tournament last night and had some boat issues. So not so much boat issues, just some electrical stuff go wrong. So put my boat to get worked on, dropped it off at the dealership, and then about to go home and I'll be forced to be an adult a little bit now that I don't have an excuse to go get on the lake. So I'll probably uh, I'm not going to mow because it's like a thousand degrees in Texas all the time right, right now. So I'll probably do something inside the air conditioner that looks productive. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. It's, uh, it's pretty hot in Ohio. I mean, I'm sure it's usually hotter in Texas, but it's been in the 90s this week. So got the kids pool out. I thought about jumping in after mowing yesterday. So That's what we've been. I'm guiding down here uh, fishing trips and that we rarely make it through a full day without customers wanting to jump in the lake. I'm, I'm good with it. Cools everybody off for a second, get the reset. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – now, we haven't had you on since episode uh, – so we had you on episode 17 and episode 42. So if guys want to go back and kind of get acquainted. But kind of bring us up to speed. You mentioned the guiding. I don't remember you doing that before. Is guiding uh, new, or have you been doing that for a while? Uh, I've done – so the fishing guiding, I kind of used it um, as like a supplemental type deal. So if I had something expensive that I wanted to put on my boat, I would I would pop a couple of trips to pay for it. Uh, that way I didn't have to come out of my pocket. But uh, Oldfield has pretty much died. I could uh, maybe go back to work, but the, the pay scale isn't what it should be. So if yeah. I'm going to be gone, you know, from my family for at least a month at a time, I'm not going to. It needs to be justifiable with better income. So uh, it's just kind of something that I didn't really plan on doing it, but it's uh, it just kind of fell in my lap. Same thing, deer season uh, this year. I planned on uh, spending quite a bit of time up there at a place in the Panhandle. And uh, right before, I guess the middle of bow season, excuse me, I guess in the middle of bow season there, the, the, the guy that, that I lease with is a friend of mine that lives in southeast Texas, and he's been up in that part of the country for, you know, 20 years with an outfitter business there. And um, 
he had a partner that they were working with that was local that was from there and i guess there was some uh shadier things taking place so he kind of he called me uh, i was actually on my way home i've been up there and bow hunted a little bit i was on my way home and it wasn't a can you help it was you're gonna help and so i kind of ended up with a, a half ownership in a in an outfitter business that i wasn't really looking for but it turned out to be a a pretty good deal especially you know kind of in between jobs with work you know so i lived in the panhandle for three and a half months and i don't i couldn't even count how many i wouldn't begin to guess how many deer that we uh that we ended up shooting we have a lot of does up there like the, the buck doe ratio is in pretty bad shape and uh we really worked on those this year we shot some nice deer yeah and uh I got really, 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 really good at skinning a deer. <laughs> like I've always been pretty good at it. Now, now I, uh, I have no problem saying I'm up there in the upper percentile of that deal. Now, what's your what's your method? I, I want to ask that because I've never talked about it on the show before. Are you a neck down or are you a uh, tail down type type of guy? Because I, I see two different camps, you know, and I'm just curious that you've skinned so many. What what's what way do you go? Well, I will tell you for sure, my entire life, I have been a neck down guy. Like, I like to hang him by the neck. The problem with that is when you try to cape a deer, you can't do it with him hanging from the neck or the horns or whatever. Right. So this year, uh, I, I really like just to get more efficient. At, whenever I would have to skim one, I always called it upside down. Uh, you know, from the leg with the leg hanging by the leg. Right. Uh, I was so bad at it. Like it took me forever. <clears throat> I guess that's probably not fair. Uh, you know, hanging them from the head, I, I could put one in the cooler without trying to get in any kind of rush. 20, 30 minutes, quartered up in the cooler, and when I would hang them up uh, by the by the feet, it was just double that at least. And I always felt like I was missing some meat, leaving some meat on there. So kind of uh, this year, I just started doing it that way because we we do cape a lot of the deer that uh, that our hunters shoot. You know, they want to get them mounted. So I did, you know, when you're dealing with somebody else's trophy, it's more important than yours. So right. um, I, it, those pigs, everything that we shot, I started hanging them upside down, and I don't know that I'll ever skim one from the neck down again. Like I. Uh, I understand it a little bit better now, and I can. Uh, the things that I was having problem with was just because it was backwards to me, and so now I've gotten pretty proficient at that. That's the, that's the way I'll do it. Now there's so many benefits to doing it that way. Yeah, I tell you, I I think I've helped a buddy skin one from the neck down, and I felt the same way that you felt about it being upside down. I I didn't. We growing up, the only thing I ever saw was deer upside down. You know, hanging from quarters you know we'd have like a gamble system and rope them up in the rafters in this guy's barn and that's that's how that's the way I learned so whenever somebody did it from the neck down I'm like what are you doing I had no idea that people <laughs> that there was a different way to do it you know and so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting I, so I'll tell you that one thing that I learned this year uh and you know it'll help you guys more uh because y'all's deer in the midwest have uh, a lot longer hair than most of our Texas deer yeah, when we start getting up in the panhandle, we, we run into that a lot, like the, they're more of a Midwestern-type strain. And uh, I had a guy that came and hunted with his name, Sam Music, that was a, uh, he was a chief, uh, the fire chief in Oklahoma City for a long time. 
And, and anyway, he, he came up for a four-day hunt, and I think he ended up staying two weeks. I, I really enjoyed him. And, and he showed me uh, when you're – so to keep the hair from getting on the meat, you know, you would think you would want to, to cut with the grain. Uh, but what that actually does is slices the hair in front of it. If you'll cut against the grain of the hair, uh, it doesn't, you know, like explode. You know what I mean? Like when you, yeah. when you cut into the hair, it looks like fireworks going off sometimes with those longer haired deer. Oh, if absolutely. you'll cut against the grain, it keeps that from happening as much. No, you're not good. cutting the hair in front of it. Yeah, that makes sense. I And I, I know exactly what you're talking about because a lot of times whenever you're on that – on the bottom working your way up that's kind of the way it works so yeah yes, sir. that's good man so were any so you did a lot of guiding were any of those deer yours were you able to have any success last year i did uh i, I probably i got after one really big one um and i stayed after him for a long time and i let a lot of nice deer walk that i probably should have shot uh this this deer in particular I saw him the day before uh, bow season opened. Uh, my family went up with me to hunt opening weekend of bow season. And uh, the, the afternoon before we got the camper set up and all that stuff and went to just kind of drive around and make a loop. And we came across one of the big fields that we have up there. It's a, a, a big rye field. And it was getting late. And it was kind of shallow. And I saw a big deer up on the hill. And I stopped and was looking at it uh, through binoculars. And, it was a probably well, I know exactly what he scored. He ended up scoring 144 because one of our guys shot him, but it was a big nine point, and, and the score don't do him justice. I mean, 144 is a really, really nice deer, uh, but he looked so much bigger than that. He just had really weak brow pines, and his main beams, they didn't look short, but they were. They were, you know, 19-inch main beams on a frame like that. Yeah. Uh, but – a huge frame. I mean, I really thought he was like a, a mid to upper 50s type deer. And I'm watching him and showing him to the kids and all that. And another deer comes over the hill in the same bachelor group with him that was just way bigger. <laughs> like, way, way bigger. And they're at four or 500 yards, so it's hard to get a real accurate number on him. But I mean, I was calling him a mid 170s pinpoint, you know. And, uh, Saw him four or five times. One time, I could have shot him. Uh, in fact, the, the gentleman I was talking about, Sam, he had, he had killed the deer that afternoon, and I was headed into the field to go pick him up, turned into the field, and he was standing there at 75 yards uh, just looking at me. And I don't know. I look back at it now. I kind of wish I'd shot him, but it, I don't know. I get a little nostalgic about it, I guess. I, I it's not so much about just killing one anymore. I want to kill them the way I want to kill them. You know, I don't want it to be an accident. And yeah. so, long story short, he got away from me, and a guy that I actually uh, fished tournaments against shot him on a different property about a mile and a half east of uh, of that field that he was living in. Hmm. Shot him, I think, later in December. Uh, and he, had, he had real big brow ties, probably seven or eight inch brow ties, and he had broken one of them off, and he scored uh, 169 as a nine point. Wow. That's a, that's a big deer. He was. He was a really nice one. Got after him. Got after several. We had four deer this year that were around uh, that I felt like were in that 170-plus class range. Um, nobody, None of our hunters or, or myself ever connected with one. Had uh, a friend of mine that hunts on the actual lease part of our property 
uh, him and his son were hunting and had an opportunity. William could have actually shot him, and uh, he's not a guy that exaggerates anything. He's, he's killed some really big deer, and he told me if this deer wasn't a 200-inch typical, then he's, he'll never see one. And that, they actually had him at like five yards, oh, and uh, he was just hooked up on the uh, shooting sticks with a crossbow for his son. And like I said, William had the angle where he could have shot him, but he really wanted his son to shoot him. And he comes up and instead of cutting in front of the blind like that they should and taking the fence row, he goes behind him and crosses a wide open field. And oh man, uh, I saw that deer. What I feel like was that deer two other times after that. Never uh, hunting. It was always going to check cameras or take hunters to a stand or whatever. Uh, as far as I know, like a deer like that would have got some traction in the area, so I don't think anybody ever shot him. And well, like I said, we had several really nice ones like that. Uh, as far as deer that we killed, um, I shot I shot a six point that uh, I, he wasn't quite 20 inches wide, but almost real heavy. Yeah. Just no brow tines, really good twos. Um, really cool deer um let's see that was in december i waited too long is what happened once i found out that the deer that i we, have, we got three counties that we can hunt each county is a, a one buck county so okay. uh, once i found out the big deer that i was after had gotten killed uh, i didn't settle but i just like i didn't have a, a a big one that i was wanting to hunt you know i mean like I, I just like to shoot an old mature deer. Yeah. I don't get into much to the, the I don't buy into the calling and uh, genetic management. Like that. I, I'm from Texas and I still don't agree with that because I've seen too much of it to where people just people want to pull the trigger and call it management when you know nutrition and age is in, is more important than your genetics. You'll never shoot a genetic trait out. Yeah. Um, so, but I just like. I mean, for perspective, I've, I've killed a 170-inch deer before, but I've never killed a giant six-point. Uh, to me, they're more rare. You know? Yeah. Uh, I, it, I had an opportunity to shot him, and it made a – like, I, I rifle-hunted uh, mostly. I had had some shoulder trouble this year and uh, didn't get to bow hunt like I like to, but uh, mostly rifle-hunting. I made a really long shot on him. Actually, both of the bucks that I killed, I, I did make really long shots on that's something that I've kind of just recently uh, been working on and getting into shooting longer ranges. But uh, so it just made it fun. I shot him, and then I shot a eight point that was I think one thirty six. So oh, that's great, really man. Nice. Okay, we had I, a good year. I wonder, you know, with guiding, you know, adding that. I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. You know, if I started taking buddies out and started taking people and and was trying to get other people on, I wonder how that would affect my you know, what I was wanting to shoot in the amount of time. So, you know, how much did that play a part? Were you able to still be able to hunt as much as you want, or did you find yourself out with guys? And so you kind of had to, you know, not settle, like you said, but, you know, take your best opportunities. Well, so most of ours ended up being like, it's not so much a one-on-one unless they request it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way we, we have our business set up is to where you shoot what you want to shoot. The, the, The number of deer that we have up there is incredible. And, uh, like, I mean, there's, there's multiple afternoons where you'll sit on a field and there, they may not all be in rifle range, but, uh, you know, you'll see 
there, there's 500 deer on this one particular field every afternoon. Now the field's a square mile, you know, so uh, but you may have 150, 200 deer in front of you at one time. So uh, we, we just kind of tell people what's in the area, <clears throat> get an idea of what they're uh, what they're trying to hunt. And I would scout and hunt at the same time. So I got to hunt as much as I wanted to. Um, very few cases where I actually had to sit with the hunter. And, and when they requested, I don't mind that at all. Yeah, uh, they just wanted to, you know, make sure that they weren't going to shoot a deer that they weren't going to be happy with. And um, But, no, I, I hunted a lot. Um, I scouted a lot. And I, that's what I would do. I, I would scout with my gun, you know, and if I saw one that I liked, uh, I'd, I'd take care of it, you know. But that's kind of the way that I really like to hunt anyways. I, I just kind of, I, I get so bored at sitting in any type of a stand, be it a tree stand or, a, um, you know, whatever. I like to just set up and just kind of play it by ear. I guess part of why I like to fish as much as I do, it's the same type of a deal. I just kind of ease around until something feels right and do it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fun. I think, I don't know, some people put a little too much pressure on themselves. I think they get a little, I, I'm that way sometimes. I've had seasons like that where I get a little too wrapped up or too concerned over one particular deer. I haven't done that in a few years, but you just, you know, we've talked about it before on the show. You you can almost make hunting or fishing not fun if you get too wrapped up in it, you know, and it's just. You absolutely can. And I, I've about decided that I don't like trail cameras and mm-hmm. that I don't, uh, I just, I, I remember what it was like growing up in a place that didn't really have, we didn't realize that we had the caliber of deer that we had. I believe I've always been here, uh, but trail cameras uh, really kind of exposed it, you know, that we would shoot the first nice deer that we saw. And then we realized, hey, there really is big deer around, you know? Yeah. And so then we all got wrapped up into chasing a particular deer. And I've ruined so many deer seasons by doing that. And I just get exactly what you said. I'll get too wrapped up into it. And I, I'm, you know, each in their own. I, I don't, if, if you want to kill one with a hammer and a high fence, I don't care. Like, that's your deal, not mine. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I like to hunt the way that I hunt. And then I've gotten to where I still run cameras just to have an idea of what's around. But what's on that camera is not going to dictate uh, whether or not I pull the trigger on a deer. When he yeah. comes up, I, I have a real strict uh, regimen. If he makes my heartbeat real fast and he's old enough, I am going to shoot him. Yep. Yep. I'm the same way. I, I did the trail camera thing there for a while and I've got a lot of pictures in the summer and the bucks on this one particular property. I mean, I'd have massive bucks, you know, in July, August, and then September, October rolls around and they've shifted their home range a good bit. And it took me a couple of years to realize that I'd get so fired up over summer pictures and realize most of those bucks, only maybe one of them would stick around. And uh, so this year I got a couple cellular cameras. I plan on putting them up just, but I'm putting them up with that. And my, my mindset is just because you have a picture of them, even if it's like, you know, during hunting season, it does not mean that I've, that that buck's going to be there. I'm not going to get my hopes up. It's just simply a tool for me, I just like looking at the pictures. I mean, it, it makes me happy. I mean, especially on the cell camera, whenever I get a picture coming in and it's not a squirrel or a, a branch moving, you know, in front of my camera that I need to trim. I, I mean, if I got a deer on my camera, it makes me happy just to see them. Just kind of neat, you know, but I don't put much stock in that. I'm not a guy that's learned how to kill the buck that's on the picture. 
I haven't killed one of those bucks yet, you know, and I, I'm still trying to learn how to do that. But for me, it's just more of an inventory, just kind of fun thing to do. Sure. And we, we started that this year. Uh, the guys that the, the lease group, the guys that I have that are part of our deer lease and not part of the, uh, the outfitter business, we're, we're real tight uh, knit guys. Like we've, we've all grown up hunting together for a really long time. And we don't have like, this is my stand and that's your stand. It's we all hunt everybody's stuff. Everybody utilizes the same stuff. So we have, uh, I think we've got six of those cell cameras running up there. And we'll have, we have them all into where all of us can sign in and see what's going on. And, uh, we, we, we utilize them a lot. I'll tell you what, I started doing with them more than anything. Uh, the best function that I've got is. So like we do hunt a lot of feeders up there during bow season. So a lot of times our deer will come in 30, 45 minutes before the feeders go off, before it gets daylight. And they'll be there when you get there. So I've started pulling into an area. And before I actually walk up to the, uh, to the stand, I'll send a command to make it take a picture and let me know that nothing's right there, that I'm not going to blow the yeah. stand out. And I, yeah, I tell you what, I used it a lot more during turkey season than I ever would have dreamed that I had. Yeah. Because I had areas that I knew these turkeys were working these shade lines up there. And uh, I would I would set cameras out, you know, on the shade lines. And then I'd be in other places. And that's, I did a lot more turkey scouting with a camera than I ever dreamed of that I would. I, do, I use it way more for turkeys than I do for deer. Yeah. Same this year for me as well. I had one out and um was having a hard time figuring out which side of the property the turkeys were on and had a few pictures of, of birds on this one particular hill and went in there we kind of went in blind we weren't able to roost them the night before but i was able to get a boy uh riley got his uh, first tom you know off the roost that way so those truck cameras help a lot in turkey season you wouldn't think that it would make that big of an impact but just kind of having a general idea of where they're roosting especially if you get like an, an evening picture you know they're going to be close by that's that's very helpful well, the best one that that I had, or the best instance that I have with it this year, I was actually, it's kind of what triggered me on using this deal. Um, I was actually trying to get some pigs shot, and I'd set it up uh, where some pigs were coming under a fence, and uh, I, I got a notification up in the middle of the day. I'm back at the camp, cleaning up, hanging out, just kind of wasting my day till the afternoon to go listen for birds. I got a notification. There was six toms in a group by themselves coming under. And I was like, well, that's strange, you know? And then it's not because I start thinking about it. You know, I, I don't claim to be any kind of expert turkey hunter. I, I've been fortunate and killed a couple of them, but it was usually in spite of myself. But they, like, you know, they, they, they roost with the hens. They get down, they do their thing in the morning, and then they split up. So, during the day like if, if everybody that's a good turkey hunter will tell you uh if you hear one gobbling on up in the middle of the day like that's the easiest bird you'll ever kill in your whole life mm-hmm. and so that's what these were doing they were flocking up and they would they would break off from those flocks and then go feed during the day and they were the most killable turkeys i've ever tried to hunt anywhere because like it, it happened one time and i was like oh that was kind of cool you know i wish i'd have been sitting over there <laughs> and then the next day Within 30 or 40 minutes of that same time, it happened again. The next day, it happened again. I'm like, hey, it's three days in a row. I'm sitting here in the shade hanging out at camp when I could be out there killing turkeys. So day four, I go over there and got my turkey killed. No, that's awesome. That's great, man. 
Well, I, I wanted uh, Steve to get into this because part of the reason I reached out to you this time is you posted a story on, uh, I believe, Instagram or Facebook. And we've, we've heard some of your fishing stories before, but this one, I believe, involved um, your daughter, if I'm not mistaken. And I kind of wanted to get into a little bit of kind of how all that went. So my daughter is uh, not your typical seven-year-old little girl. She is number one, daddy's girl. And number two, if it has anything to do with a horse or a fish or a deer, that is her deal. She is all in on that. And has been that way from day one. Like her, I think her third or fourth birthday, she wanted to have a fishing party. So we, we there's a park there at our house that has a, a pretty good sized pond in it. Has a bunch of uh, just little bluegill and brim and stuff in there. So that's what her birthday party was. We took everybody fishing out there. If I go and she don't go, like I hear about it when I get home, and she will go from dark to dark all day every day. And is 110% for it the whole time. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. So she has worn me out from since she before she even knew what a tournament was. Because I do, I fish a lot of tournaments, uh, team and individual tournaments here in Texas. And um, she has always, always, I want to fish tournament. I want to fish tournament. Well, hey, the the skill set at seven years old isn't quite there, you know to. Uh, be able to just turn her loose and two most of these tournaments uh, have somewhat of an age restriction on them you need to be a certain age 16 18 depends on the tournament before they'll let you enter them mm -hmm. and so uh there's an afternoon tournament a guy named wendell burris here uh he's from huntington right down the road or the town that i actually grew up in uh he puts on a tournament every sunday afternoon 52 weeks a year. If Sunday's on Christmas, he'll be down there at the boat ramp. If 4th of July is on a Sunday, he'll be down there. Like, if his two people show up, you got a tournament, you know? Wow. And it, <laughs> it, and it could be two people, or it could be, I fished that thing where there's 40 or 50 boats in this deal, you know? And uh, it's just a, a fun three fish limit, uh, kind of a good old boy system. Everybody throws some cash in a fruit jar and uh, you know, at the, whoever has the heaviest weight and the biggest fish at the end of the day, they, they take the money home. So uh, I talked to Wendell and told him, I was like, hey, you know, Father's Day this year was uh, Sunday. And I told him, I said, hey, my daughter's wanting to fish. You know, is it cool she comes and fishes with me? He's like, man, you bring her anytime. So I was like, all right. So I wanted to wait and make sure that the weather wasn't going to be bad before I told her. And uh, I told my wife that, that was what I was planning on doing on Father's Day was taking her to fish that deal. And she ends up uh, letting the cat out of the bag and tells my daughter about a week ahead of time. And every single morning she would wake up, is today Sunday? <laughs> oh, baby, it's not Sunday yet. Is today Sunday? Not yet. So finally Sunday rolls around. We jump in, go in there and get in the tournament. There wasn't a ton of boats. I think there was. 10 or 12, something like that. This is pretty typical. It's not It's not a big tournament, but uh, I mean, Sam Rayburn, though, is the lake that I live on. It's a place to where if there's five guys there fishing the tournament, somebody there's had an article written about them. Like, it's the, the most competitive place on planet Earth to fish. I've been to Gunnersville, and I've been to Kentucky Lake, been to all those places, know people from there, got a lot of good friends. It's It's unbelievable how many people fish this lake and how many tournaments are held here every single year 
And so, I mean, there's some pretty good sticks in this deal, so I'm knowing it's going to take some pretty good weight to win. So we get out there, and I found some offshore fish. We go to those first because those are easier, you know, for her to be able to, to catch. We get out there and can see them on our, our electronics and all that. Can't make them bite. We did that three or four places. So, like, I'm kind of starting to get a little bit discouraged, you know. I've worked out a deal with Wendell to where she was going to win $5 regardless. If we weighed in a fish, you know, she was going to get some money out of the deal. Yeah. And so I'm, it's kind of getting later on in the tournament, and I'm like, we haven't caught anything yet. And that's uh, pretty rare for, for Dad. So I, I lied to her and told her that uh, we had gone to those places to trick everybody else in the tournament in case they were watching us. <laughs> and uh, I was really kind of starting to panic. So we ended up going to some bushes and shallower stuff and a little bit harder for uh, for her. But uh, here a second, we catch a small keeper. and There we go. So I, I'm feeling a lot better about it then because I know she's going to get, you know, if she just weighs in eight fish, she's going to get $5 and think she won. So then we <laughs> go down, catch another one. And uh, this is mostly bass, Steve, or yeah, what are you catching? Yeah, it was a bass tournament. Okay. And so we, we had two in the live well, and we needed one more for a limit. And, like, I, I kind of hear it thunder, and I, we were pushing kind of, like, up against the bank, a lot of tall pine trees around the bank. And so I kind of pulled into where a cove opened up, and I could see, like, the sky was just black, and it was on us, you know, like, it was there. And so I told her, you know, let's get set down, let's go get under the bridge. So we took off, get under the bridge. Uh, 147 bridge is runs all the way across the lake, about a three-mile-long bridge, I think. And uh, anyway, we got under it. She said, what are we doing here? I told her, I said, there's a storm coming. Of course, she starts to kind of panic. I told her, I said, no, we're fine. We'll we'll be under the bridge. We'll be out of the rain, out of the lightning, out of the wind. And uh, trying to talk to her because she was kind of panicking about it a little bit. I mean, and it was pretty, it was pretty intense. You know, it's lightning and popping and it's raining really hard and that the, the idea of it is we we couldn't have gotten back to the boat ramp from where we were like if we had taken off and tried to get back to the truck we would have gotten caught up in the storm so it's what i was trying to explain to her you know about making good decisions and how quickly things can pop up out there on the lake and you know i showed her i said you see these people they're running across this it's so dangerous they're out there in the rain they can't see boats running on top of boats and uh, lightning popping everywhere, you know. I said, and here we are, we're safe as can be, dry as a bone. And so she finally calms down just a little bit. And uh, we started catching some crappie while we were sitting under the bridge. We probably lasted 30 or 45 minutes and everything chilled out. And uh, told her she, the whole day, too, it was super hot. She was wanting to go swim. I want to go swim and I want to go swim. I said, well, if we catch a limit, you can go swim. So we Messed around there and caught the third one. And as soon as it got in the box, she says, is that our limit? I said, it is. She said, can I go swimming? I said, you sure can. <laughs> she takes off, swims around in the lake for 30 minutes or so. And anyway, we load back up. I'm going to let her weigh her fish in. You know, normally, like, had I been fishing the tournament just for me, I would have thrown everything we had back. And cause I knew, like, it takes pretty substantial weight usually to win this deal. And we didn't have much of anything, you know, just barely keepers. And uh, 
Now we get back up there to the weigh-in, and uh, we were a little bit early. And, of course, my mom and uh, she had my son. My mom and my son had come down there, and uh, <clears throat> we got the fish up there and weighed them. I went back and turned everything loose. I'm looking at my watch and, like, the, the tournament's over, you know. And I was talking to Wendell. I said, man, where's everybody else at? He goes, I don't think anybody else is here. And we gave it another 15 minutes or so, you know, when we start looking around, we know the guys that are fishing. We don't see any of their trucks. <laughs> Nobody else weighed in. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we were the only ones to weigh in, and she won She won the tournament, and she won Big Bass. <laughs> Wow, that is awesome. So now there's a force to be reckoned with at the Phillips house. She is just about ready for sponsors, her own boat, her own TV show. She's writing books. That's she told great. me she's going to start a YouTube channel called The Fishing Nerds. The Fishing and, Nerd. Uh, Man, I will look for it. that. Yeah, be ready for it because uh, hear her tell it, it is in the process of happening. Oh man, I've read that story and, and hearing you tell it's even better. Just uh, seven years old, first off. I mean, good good for you for raising her up to know how to do that. I mean, that's something I've been trying to do with my daughter. Of course, the problem, the difference is you know how to fish and I'm just now learning how to fish. So everything I'm teaching her, I'm like, uh, I think this works. And she's, if she doesn't catch a fish in five minutes, she gets pretty impatient because I've taken her to some real nice, you know, little farm ponds and things like that where it's stocked pretty good. And so, uh, sure we tried trout fishing in the smoky mountains and she had cast it out there and it would go downstream. And she just was like, why isn't anything biting? I was like, it's, I've only caught one fish in three days. I was like, so you know, <laughs> I expected her at any moment to land a bigger trout than what I did, but you know, that's uh, <laughs> right. Uh, I'll tell you, it's yep, nothing that's... like taking kids out there and letting them the smile on their face when they catch one and just that excitement. That's, that's where it's at. Oh, it's awesome. She killed her first deer this year too. And uh, that that was that was really a cool deal too. She's she she you know I told her I'm not I'm not gonna just let you go because you want to go. You know if you if you want to hunt, you got to put your time in and, and practice and get to where you can shoot. I'm not gonna just rush anything into it. I think there's more harm in that than there is making them wait a little bit. You know so I mean she she for every year she's hunted with me. She if I go she wants to go. And uh, so this year was going to be her first year to hunt. Opening weekend, I had I had a bachelor. Our, our bucks up there will stay bachelor grouped up until uh, about the second week of bow season. They kind of start breaking up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had three really, really nice ones uh, in a bachelor group that, I mean, they were every single morning and every single afternoon, like the easiest deer in the world to kill. And thought for sure she was going to get the shooter one with her crossbow and uh we got up there and the wind kept i mean i messed it up trying to force it the wind was just like on the shade of being wrong mm-hmm. and every time they would come in circles catch our wind and uh never made it happen with a crossbow but uh our youth season was on halloween this year and a good friend of mine lives here by the house and uh he invited us out told us to go hunt on his place and she got to shoot her a doe, and that was that was really that was a that was a cool moment. Like I, you hear everybody talk about it, you know, like you know, if your kids ever kill one, you don't care if you ever shoot another one. And I really was like, yeah, y'all don't know me. I'm pretty selfish. Um, 
I, it's that way though, man. Like the minutes that they get into it, it's uh, you know whatever she wants. Let's let's get it. Yeah, I had a buddy of mine tell me, Steve. You know, we we went camping. We've been on a camping trip for years. I think this made year eighteen or nineteen started back whenever we were in high school. And it used to be, I mean, every year we just loved it. It was great. And then all of us got married, started bringing our wives and kids along. And my buddy told me last year, you know, it's, it's at the point now where the trip is no longer about our personal enjoyment. It's about our kids' enjoyment, you know, making sure that they have fun. And, and, and in turn, I mean, we have a great time. It's always a blast. Well, you don't realize but, how much fun it is seeing your kids have a good time, you know? Yeah, yeah it makes it worthwhile. Oh, that's great, man. I, yeah, that's a great story. That's fantastic. I'm glad that you've been able to get out with her and have some good, good memories. And I just, it's a neat picture of you guys being under the bridge together, kind of waiting out that storm. It is. And you can, like in that picture that I posted, uh, I've had several of my friends that, that know us and know her, you know, they call me like, you know, Adelaide doesn't look like she's having all that much fun in that picture. I was like, no, I finally got her to dry her tears up for that picture. And it was the whole reason for the picture was trying to take her mind off of what was going on around us, you know. Mm. It was a pretty intense moment. Like, I, I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you I was not concerned. I mean, I'm out there. I'm on the water. I mean, I think it's probably fair to say I average 150 days a year out there. Yeah. And I've been in some really, really bad stuff, you know, and it wasn't like life-threatening. Obviously, I'm not going to put my kid in harm's way, but. It was definitely uh, – it got your attention, you know, yeah. for about 30 minutes. It's just – it happens here. But it, being close to the coast like we are, we get a lot of those Gulf Stream pop-up storms in the summer that just – they're really short, really intense. They just last a few minutes, and then they're done, you know. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what this one was. But, yeah, we had a we had a little moment. Guy was able to do some teaching about it, you know, and yeah. just kind of pay attention to what's going on around you. You can't always – can't always just think about it a little bit you know that's what i tell her all the time things that get you in trouble is not not thinking things through before you do them you know everybody everybody wanted to kind of panic and uh take off to the ramp you know well that was mm-hmm. the wrong thing to do you know yep. let's say we even let's say we get there before the storm and we get there and there's 20 boats around now we're all sitting right there together giant lightning rods because nobody can get to the shoreline to get up there to your truck you know yeah yep that's smart uh, that's some good lessons taught and uh, a memory she'll never forget i'm sure oh she's and, a sponge too man she soaks that stuff up and like i i forget my name like it, when i meet I'm, I'm i'm so bad at, especially in the business that i've gotten into to where you know guiding fishing trips and uh and and taking people hunting i mean i'm meeting somebody new almost every day I'm shaking their hand. They're introducing themselves, and I immediately forget their name. Yeah, immediately. If it's a one-on-one trip, it's the most embarrassing thing in the world. Like I cannot remember their name. (laughs) And then, like, if I I always hope for two or more because they'll say each other's names three or four times throughout the day, and I'll remember it. Yeah, but my daughter's not that way. She remembers. (laughs) She remembers it. Well, Steve. To kind of wrap us up, I, and we didn't talk about this beforehand, but if you wanted to give a shout out to your, you know, do you have a, a number or a business thing online where guys can look you up if they're looking for a charter thing in Texas? Yeah, the best way to get me is uh, probably through Instagram. Okay. And it's just Steve Phillips Fishing. 
Okay. Uh, and, and shoot me a message on Instagram. Is I'm I check it often, you know, every day, and and that's what uh, I'm not a very uh, tech savvy person, or uh, nor do I do a lot of the social media push things that a lot of people do. I probably should. My sponsors would probably appreciate it more if I did. But uh, I mean, you and I talked about it a little bit yesterday. It's just it's demanding to be able to yeah. keep up with all that stuff, you know. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, but I, I do check on the and, and that Instagram page is strictly, I'm gonna say it's 90% about fishing, uh, 5% uh, hunting stuff, and then about 3% barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> I like the barbecue part. That's that's great. I'll, I'll smoke a good brisket. I'm gonna take a picture of it. Everybody needs to see that. Oh man, I gotta make a trip down to Texas for that. Come on, man. <laughs> well, Steve, man, I enjoyed catching up with you, hearing the stories, and I appreciate uh, appreciate you cutting out some time for us today. And I'm sure I'll hear from you again, man. Yeah, for sure. Next time we talk, uh, need to remind me, and we'll tell. I got a really cool one about a hog hunt that we that we had this year. I guess we got a couple minutes, huh? We can do it now. Yeah, let's Long wrap up with that. Let's let's have a hog story to cut, and we'll we'll wrap up with that one. I had a guy, his name's Philip Morris. Uh, he's actually a super, super cool cat. You check him out. Uh, I think his name on Instagram, Silent Assassin. Okay. So he is profound deaf. Like, uh, has, was born deaf. I, I don't know his whole story there, but uh, has never, never heard any sound, period, whatsoever. And he had contacted me about, uh, back during deer season, he had talked to me about coming up for a deer hunt, and we were booked up. And then uh, he, he said, well, what about during turkey season? I said, sure, we'll, we'll do something during turkey season. So he comes up to turkey hunt with me. I'm not going to lie to you one bit. Like, I'm terrified of the idea because, like, I ha- I like to talk. I like to visit. I have no idea how I'm going to communicate with this guy. Mm-hmm. And so I, I text him on his way up. Like, I mean, I put days into thinking about how I could make this work. I just didn't see a way, you know. So I text him on the way up. I was, I'm like, hey, man, I guess we'll just talk about the elephant in the room, you know, but uh, I don't speak any sign language. Like, I know about three words, and they'll get us in a fight. And that's probably about all the sign language that I know. And uh, he messaged me back. He's like, I read lips. I was like, I understand that you do, but, like, I have no way of understanding you. He was like, you'll pick it up quicker than you think. I was like, I'm terrified of the idea. Well, <laughs> five minutes into him being in the truck, I'm talking to him just like I'm talking to you right now and understand, like we, I call it uh, roughneck sign language, you know, like what we would say if you were on the other side of the drilling rig and we're trying to use our hands to talk to each other. Yeah. That was my sign language to him, and he would basically do the same thing back to me, and we got to where we understood stuff. So the coolest thing was, so the first afternoon he gets there, and uh, he was he was he wanted to bow hunt, so I had him in a blind, and uh, he he just had an app on his phone, and he would, you know, use the app to call. And then, side note on that, like we got in the truck, he saw my slate call, and I picked slate call up and called with it, and he grabbed it, and he just put his hand up against the side of it, and I uh, called a couple of times. I mean, the man can't hear anything. So he grabs the call himself, and he starts calling as well as I was, 
just by the vibration that he could feel through it. It was oh, one man. of the coolest things I've ever seen. That's neat. And uh, like, I mean, it's unbelievable. He couldn't hear a thing, but he could probably feel it better than I could hear it, if that makes sense. So he's in the blind and he's hunting, and I'm I'm not with him. I'm I was actually uh, trying to roost some birds that afternoon, and uh, he texted me. He was like, "Hey, I smell something." I was like, "Yeah." So there's there's cows in that pasture. He says, "It's definitely not cows." I said, "It could be pigs." This is definitely not pigs. He's like, "It's just a real musky smell." And I was like, "Man, I, I don't know." I said that you know, make sure there's not any snakes around because you you know sometimes can smell snakes. And he's like, I'm sure it's a turkey. And I'm like, all right, dude, you know, come on, man. Well, sure enough, 10 minutes later, he texted me back. He was like, yep, Tom's are strutting out here. He's like, they're on their way in. And long story short, he uh, misjudged his, his range and, and missed and whatever. But throughout the next four days, he would tell me 15 minutes before. And you could go back and look at the text on my phone. It was almost to the minute, 15 minutes before. Every turkey that he saw, he smelled them before he saw. Them. It was oh, the most incredible man. thing ever. That's so, that's crazy. Oh, wow. it's nuts. He, he he tells me all the time that uh, people at home will call him when they wound a deer because he can smell them. And it, like he was telling me this, but you know we did we did a lot of texting back and forth while we were sitting side by side for you know long stories and that type of stuff. They told me countless stories about it. And at first, I was like, I don't know if I believe that. I'm telling you, I'm a hundred percent sold on it. So the last morning of his hunt, uh, I had him on, uh, I had him in a blind. He was trying to get after Turkey. Well, I'm riding around checking pastures and trying to see some out in the field that we can cut off and, you know, get back on, uh, when they, when they head back out of the pastures. And I see a giant hog out in one of our fields. Uh, I, I keep a, a AR in the truck with, you know, with hunting ammo in it and he's i don't know probably he's probably 225 yards or so and so i pull up get a good solid rest he's broadside and he was in some taller grass so i couldn't see his head so i shot him behind the shoulder and this thing i mean you hear the bullet smack the whole deal he acts like he's not hit at all like he just kind of picks his head up starts a slow trot well i dumped the magazine on him i mean i shot this thing but to get to the end, I think he had 11 bullet holes in him at the oh, end of the time I got him shot. So I, I shoot him. I don't know how many times I hit him on that first volley. Well, he goes over, crosses over onto the neighbor's pasture, and there's, there's one little tree. This is wide open country. There's one little bitty tree out there, and he goes and gets out of that tree. And I thought that I saw him fall over. And so I, I text Philip. I said, hey, I just shot a big pig. Uh, I'm going to go try to find some more birds and you know, just keep me posted on what's going on there. So went, got on another group of turkeys, went and picked Philip up, we went, come back, tried to get on those turkeys. They were right alongside a county road, and we had them coming, and uh, one of the one of the guys coming around feeding his cows drove by and spooked the bird, so uh, we didn't get a turkey killed. So we get back, and I was like, hey, let's go, you know, see if we can find this pig that I shot. And uh, I said, bring your pistol, you know, just in case, and uh, – so we get out, called the neighbors. They said, sure, go over there and get him, no problem. So we get over there to where he's at. And we're standing under this one tree. And I can see a little bit of blood here and there. Uh, but it's real sandy ground, and you'll lose the blood real easily. And, like, I mean, I can see a mile in every direction, you know. And I don't see mm-hmm. a pig. Of, man, 
I know I, I know where I hit him. I know how well I hit him. Like this, he's he's dead. He has to be. And uh, he keeps telling me. He said he went this way. Well, I'm looking at blood and tracks that shows that it went the other way. And he says, no, he keeps grabbing my arm. He's like, no, he went this way. I was like, man, I think he's this way. So I lose the blood, but there's like some old catch pins with some trash and stuff blown over kind of in the corner of the property. We go over there and look. I think that's the most likely place for something that's wounded to go hide, you know. So we get over there. He's not there. We start back. We're walking back to the tree, and he grabs me. He says, let me look. And he points back the direction that he said that he went the first time. And he pointed at his nose and said, I smell it. I'm like, okay, here we go with this again. So he takes off and he starts that way. Well, I start around the other side of the property. And uh, I'm probably, it's, it's everything up there is section land. So it's a quarter, uh, you know, quarter section, half section, three quarters, or a full, or full section, whatever. So I'm, it's a half section that we're on. So I'm literally a half a mile away from him. And I hear him shoot. And I look up, and this pig's, like, basically on top of it. And, and I can see there was one, uh, like, somebody had, had drug a big log off of a cottonwood to a, a low spot where cows were going under the fence. And he had, that, that pig had gone up and laid up against the side of that that, uh, that log there. So Philip shoots him at almost point blank. Of course, the pig takes off and starts running. And... Philip is a straight-up hand with that pistol jack because I'm talking about I could hear him smacking him every time he pulled the trigger. Pop, 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 pop. Well, he shoots four times, and he looks at me and throws his hands up, and he points at his gun, so I'm taking that as that he's, you know, he's out of shells. So here I am. I don't have I don't have a gun at all. I, I'd emptied my magazine on him, you know, that morning. Uh, Philip's out, so I get over there to him, and he, we see the pig fall over out there in the field so we sat there and kind of high five because this pretty intense moment you know and we get ready we go over there to go check him out cross the fence and start over there too and well he stands up and like bluff charges and stops i'm like man like when he stops i'm like if this thing comes at me like all i can do like the only thing that i can do is catch it you know like that's what i have to do like i have a pocket knife and a turkey call like that's it and this isn't a small pig, and he is very, very, very upset. And uh, he kind of he just stops out there at about 75 yards, and Philip tells me, he said, my rifle's in your truck. So I, now i got to go back to the truck, which is about a mile and a quarter. And uh, the last time I really ran was when my coach made me in high school. So I run back to the truck, get in my truck, drive back up there as close as I can, get the rifle out. Start walking back over there, and I'm wheezing at this point. I get hooked up on a fence post. It's a 308, really nice rifle. Stands up out there at 75 yards, and I put it right between his eyes and let him have it. He hits the ground. We high five or whatever. He gets another magazine for his pistol, hands it to me. Walk up there, get on top of the pig, and he starts trying to get up again. Oh so my I finally gosh. shoot him a point blank with a 10 millimeter in the ear, and uh finished him off but he had 11 bullet holes in him he was probably 275 pounds he's a really big one. Oh my and, goodness uh, super super intense hunt you know like i'm from here i see these uh pig hunts on tv that are dramatized quite a bit mm-hmm. and uh, yeah some of that stuff can happen but it's kind of like swamp people and alligators i've done that too and it don't happen the way that they show it on tv right you know? 
But this one was a legit TV hunt. Like, it was pretty incredible. <laughs> that sounds like, I can't believe how tough those animals are. That is insane. It's unreal how resilient they are. I mean, I'm, I'm, and, you know, I've seen it quite a bit. I mean, we we probably shoot, between me and two or three of my buddies, I, it's no less than 300 pigs a year mm-hmm. uh, that I'm a part of. I mean, they're just such a nuisance. And so I've seen quite a bit of that type of stuff. And you'd think that nothing would surprise me anymore, but that one there was pretty uh, – <laughs> he was pretty serious about it. Uh, that's awesome. That's a great story to end on. Thank you, man. That's that's uh, just insane. I, all the stuff going into that one. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, all the whole deal, like the whole package. We'll fill it and everything. He's, he's coming back up and going to deer hunt with us in the fall. I'm excited about it, man. He, he's actually planning on. Uh, he has a friend of his that's also uh, profound death that they started a, a kayak. Uh, fishing club there around Austin and uh, they're waiting on the weather to cool off a little bit. Both of them are going to come up and go fishing with me on Raver. Oh, that'd be cool, man. Well, Steve, you got a lot of stories. I'm sure we'll have you back on sometime with uh, all the adventures you're into and uh, appreciate you sharing all that today. And uh, I'm sure I'll catch up with you down the road. All right. Yeah, man. I'm going to every day try to make a new one. <laughs> that sounds good, buddy. We'll chat with you later on. All right, buddy. Take care. Yep. Bye. Those were some awesome stories. Really enjoyed that. Um, I want to wrap up with this. I want you to picture that scene that Steve painted before. There's a storm out on the lake, and there's a father and a daughter in a boat underneath the bridge, waiting out that storm as it goes overhead. And the daughter is scared. She thinks the best course of action is to get out of there, but, but the dad knows best. and He's talking her through it, bringing her through that moment, and then she ends up being victorious after the storm has passed. That is a picture to me of how the storms of life um, can be navigated whenever we realize that we have God with us. Um, you know, we're all going to go through storms. doesn't matter if you're a Christian. doesn't matter if you're not a Christian. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. We're all going to go through these challenging moments in our lives. Some will experience more challenge than others, but it's still going to be a storm of sorts. And the question is, how are you going to go through that? I had people that asked me back whenever I had stuff going on, either with my dad or with Hattie um, or with any of the situations that I've been in, how have I been able to handle it so well? And I, I'll be honest, I don't think I handled it like super well. It was tough. It was a struggle. There was moments where I, I doubted. There was moments where I was angry with God. But I, I think what they're referring to, and whenever I look at those moments, is that I just... I just knew that God is in control and that He is right there next to me. You know, when we go through storms... I think it's important for us to remember that God is good, number one. And two, God is in control. Like, And it's so hard sometimes, like, we're like, why am I going through this storm if God is in control? But God never promised that we we're going to have peaceful water. Sometimes those storms are what make us who we are, and they teach us lessons. And I think God will be there right next to us, guiding us if we will let him. I think about the disciples. They're out on the sea one time, and Jesus is trying to get away from people, and he falls asleep on the boat. And you guys remember the story probably. Storm comes up. Disciples are losing it. They're freaking out, trying to get the water out of the boat. And their last resort is to wake up Jesus. They wake him up, and they said, Don't you care if we're going to drown? And Jesus says, You of little faith. And he says to the storm, Shh, be still. And the storm just stops. It just all, it just obeys his voice. If we would remember 
in the moments we're going through these these storms, these challenges where it just seems like all hope is lost, that we have the creator of the universe right there next to us. Even if we don't feel like it, we know it. He never leaves us. If we would recognize that, I think it'll help us have these moments where maybe we're underneath the bridge. We're out of the storm for a little bit. Storm's still going on. It hasn't stopped. But we're under the bridge with our Creator. Maybe if you're going through a storm right now, just take a few moments, say a little prayer, uh, recognize that. And I think that's what God wants us to recognize. Like, hey, I'm here with you, buddy. I've got you, and I've been, you've, <laughs> we've been through these storms before. And this, might, this one might seem like it's bigger than some of the other ones, but I'm going to bring you through this. Hang on. I know what's best. Sooner or later, hopefully, that storm is going to subside and we are going to come out on the other side stronger because we were next to our Father the entire time. Hopefully that's how we handle storms. The other alternative is not very good. <laughs> I see some people go through storms of life and they end up bitter. They end up angry at God. They, they yell and they say, where were you? And they don't realize that if they would have just turned, God was there the entire time. Guys, I want to thank you. That's all I have for you today. I hope to come back next week with another guest. If you would love to come on the show or like to come on the show, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Or if you have a, maybe a buddy uh, that you think would tell some good stories or has a few, uh, go ahead and send me their, their information. My email is sheddinglightod at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you, hear your story, and get you on the show sometimes. Guys, thanks for listening. Hope that you have a fantastic week, whatever you're into. And until next time, remember to shed the light.